It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. There are two players who have a ton to prove in this upcoming spring training because they could either be on the opening day roster with good performances or in AAA with not-so-good performances. Who they are and what they have to do will be our focus on today's Locked on Reds. You are Locked on Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked on Reds. Thanks for making Locked on Reds your first listen of the day. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and we are free and available on all podcasting platforms. I'm your host, Stephen Offenbaker, alongside Jeff Carr, and we have a passion for baseball. We have a passion for the Cincinnati Reds, and we have taken that passion, and we have turned it into information for you. On today's podcast, uh, it's time to turn our attention to Goodyear, Arizona, and spring training as the Reds are getting ever so close to opening camp just 12 days from now. We're going to tell you who we think has the most to prove heading in to the 2023 spring training, and uh, we're going to tell you what they need to do in order to make the team. Also, Keith Law, friend of the Reds, not said anybody ever, uh, has released his farm system rankings. We're going to tell you what he thinks and if we agree with him or not. Uh, before we dive into all that, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more by visiting fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. All right, Jeff, uh, we got a lot of ground to cover today. And uh, when you brought this topic up, I thought this is excellent. Uh, it's time to kind of start looking this direction. Anyway, we are 12 days away from the Reds opening camp out in Goodyear, Arizona. And it, you know, it naturally lends itself to the question, uh, once that gets started, who has the most to prove? Who has the most on the line uh, this coming spring training in order to find themselves in Cincinnati on opening day? Yeah, and I think that this spring training more than most, at least in recent memory, is going to be intriguing for that reason. There are so many guys that I think could make a case for the opening day roster. I think there's lots on this roster that isn't quite set in stone or at the very least earn themselves an early season call up, maybe not on opening day, maybe a May 1st or something like that. But there's two very clear candidates that you and I have come up with, and we're going to start with the most obvious guy, Ellie day la cruz look the hype is real but ellie day la cruz has to show that he can live up to the hype and earn that spot on the opening day roster the talent is there the you know we we saw the numbers all of the statistics we talked about them quite a bit he hit the cover off the ball down in the minors last year he stole a bunch of bases he has that ability and he can throw you out from anywhere on the diamond we are going to have a lot of fun watching him here in spring training, but he definitely still has some things that he can work on. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I think just for clarity's sake, uh, for the listeners and the viewers, you know, Jeff and I aren't saying that LA De La Cruz is a bubble guy. 
that he has to go out and 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 fight his way to be considered legitimate by this organization. The Reds want him on the big league roster. Uh, it's just a question of can he force their hand and have them give him a starting position, shortstop, on opening day. And that all depends on the spring training performance that he puts up. If he attacks spring training, like he has attacked every other level. And what we've seen from him since he was promoted from Daytona is he goes into a new level. He takes about 10 to 14 days to kind of find his groove. And once he finds his groove, it is absolutely a, a power baseball show. He's mashing 600-foot home runs. He is turning doubles into triples and triples into inside the Parkers. He is doing baseball things after he finds his stride. And I suspect that that's going to be a similar case out in Arizona, Jeff, because the one thing we need to keep in mind, while he will be facing some major league pitching uh, out in Arizona, it's not season-ready major league pitching. It's major league pitchers that are working on things, and they're going to throw him nothing but one particular pitch because they're trying to get their work in. Uh, that's going to give Ellie the opportunity to mash a little bit and, and kind of force the Reds' hands as we move closer and closer and closer to that opening day game against the Pittsburgh Pirates in Cincinnati. Yeah, and I think that you know, kind of what you're saying is twofold. There, When you're looking at the statistics – in spring training, look at them with a grain of salt. Although we would like to see homers, we would like to see extra base hits from Ellie De La Cruz. But really what you're looking for is how he approaches that at bat. The thing about him in the minors last year is he is very aggressive when he is in the batter's box. He had a strikeout rate of over 30%, and yet he still hit over 300. So we're not saying that strikeouts are a crippling thing for him, but if he can get rid of them, if he can mitigate those even just a little bit, and I'm not even saying I, I said get rid of them. I don't mean get rid of strikeouts completely, but if he can take a 30% K rate and maybe drop it down to maybe even just 25%, that is the kind of thing that will elevate his numbers even more. And and it's interesting because you know we're, we're going to talk about Keith Law and some of his rankings here in a little bit, but I was really intrigued at the profile that he had on Ellie De La Cruz because he talks about how he has amazing bat speed and an amazing ability to make good contact with pitches outside of the strike zone. But the one thing that he struggles with are fastballs up fastballs that are, you know, at the top of the strike zone and maybe a little bit above, not necessarily chasing the above the strike zone fastballs, but simply just trying to get to the high fastballs. This is something a little bit different from what we're used to with Aristides Aquino and Jose Barrero, where they said low and away breaking balls. And that's all you got to throw to him. He can hit those. It's going to be the high fastball. And how does he deal with that? Because if he is able to kind of change his approach a little bit, if he is able to shorten up his swing, hit those high fastballs, he is going to become, and this is in um, this is in Keith Law's words. He can hit 30 to 35 home runs and have a high BABIP to mitigate even that 25% strikeout rate so that folks will, you know, folks will worry about the strikeout rate, but he's still going to have good numbers in spite of that. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Aristides Aquino because, <laughs> uh, you know, and, 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 and hang in here with me on this one while I, while I get where I'm trying to get. Um, we're not all sunshine and kittens here, folks. You know, you know that Jeff and I like try to maintain the optimism, but we tell you like it is. You know, I did recently have a conversation with someone inside the Reds organization, and 
one of the big concerns, not specifically about L.A. De La Cruz, but about a particular body type. We're talking the Aristides Aquino body type, the L.A. De La Cruz body type, that big, tall baseball player. Uh, you know, baseball is one of those interesting things where a strike zone is not really a defined area uh, by size. It's defined by, you know, markers on the player. We're talking about, you know, you hear it when you're in Little League, from the letters to the knees kind of defines the strike zone. And in Major League Baseball, it works much the same. It's from, you know, basically below the letter line, you know, near chest down to the knees. So that strike zone for guys like Aristides Aquino, for guys like Ellie De La Cruz is massive. And what we've seen is some of these players get up to the big league level and they're facing these major league pitchers that are just absolutely ruthless and they can't protect that big of an area. So the key for Ellie De La Cruz, you know, you're talking about, you know, his, his strikeout rate. But for me, it's more about, you know, being able to defend that much territory, whether it was Aristides Aquino who couldn't get his bat through low and away and protect the rest of the strike zone. Uh, I think that Ellie De La Cruz's struggle is the opposite end of the zone, but the, the fact remains, if he can't protect that much space, he's going to struggle. So I think the advantages that he has there is, I think he has better bat speed than Aristides Aquino. I think he probably has more you know, baseball, just natural baseball in him than Aristides Aquino did. I mean, we've watched Ellie De La Cruz do so many just baseball things, and we've both been like, just play that again. I want to see it again. It was amazing. Uh, so, you know, I have I have concerns uh, about what, uh, what Ellie De La Cruz is going to be able to do when he faces these breaking pitches that can move from where you're talking about his struggles – in the upper, you know, the upper inside area of that giant strike zone and then break all the way down to the bottom, you know, outside of that strike zone and, and how he learns to adapt and handle those pitches because he's going to see breaking pitches like he's never seen before uh, the second he hits the big league roster. So, you know, when we're talking about players in, in spring training that have a lot to prove, you know, it's my hope that the Reds, when they have him on the back, field are throwing him nothing but nasty breaking balls in an effort to make sure that he can actually make those adjustments before we ever see it so that when we yeah. do see it he's already got it figured out a little bit and we don't have to listen to another round of well here they go again with another prospect that couldn't get you know that 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 narrative is is so old and i'm so tired of it and i really really hope the reds take this spring training opportunity to put ellie de la cruz in the best position to be the face of this franchise for the next decade yeah exactly and that's the thing too is like we're not talking about he needs to do this that and the other just to prove that he's a major leaguer if he does this that and the other he could be the best player in baseball that is where the hype level is because look the hype is real but Ellie De La Cruz just has to show that he can live up to the hype and earn a spot on the opening day roster because I believe it's there for him. He just has to prove it. But you know, Steve, there's also a pitcher who has a ton to prove in spring training for the Reds. We're going to tell you who and what he needs to do coming up next. Before we get to that, though, I want to let you know about today's sponsor. That's FanDuel. FanDuel is the only thing, the number one app, the only app that you're going to need for your Super Bowl party because FanDuel is the number one sports book in America. And they have so many great ways and so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. You can download FanDuel now so that you can bet the Super Bowl and 
they have this awesome no sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to the point spread. And who's going to score a touchdown? They've got the Super Bowl MVP odds, which if you're betting on anyone who's not a quarterback, the best odds for a non-quarterback to win the NF, uh, to win the Super Bowl MVP is Travis Kelsey at plus 1300. Yeah, they think it's going to be Patrick Mahomes or Jalen Hurts, and anybody not those guys has long odds. But you can do this all on the FanDuel Sportsbook app, which is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel. They're the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. And also with uh, sports gambling being legalized in the state of Ohio, we have an amazing show here on Locked On to help you, whether you're new or whether you're a seasoned gambler, make a couple of bucks. That's Locked On Bets. You can download it today and subscribe for daily picks and analysis. That's wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up tomorrow, we have another Aloha Friday as we are getting ready for pitchers and catchers reporting. Again, we still got about 12, 13 days before that happens, but spring training is just around the corner. Yes, I know there's snow here on the ground here in Cincinnati, but baseball is coming. And Steve, when we were talking about guys who have the most to prove in spring training, I had brought up Ellie De La Cruz. And you have brought up Brandon Williamson because he's at the point in his big league career where you're thinking major leagues, but his performance last year puts a big question mark on that. And and let's remember when he came over via trade, he was almost the centerpiece of the deal. He was the guy that the organization hyped up the most. And since his arrival in Cincinnati, he's been supplanted by guys like Levi Stout. We're talking about Connor Phillips. We're talking about Chase Petty. We're talking about all of these other guys that have Rabbit, come yeah. into the organization and performed where Brandon Williamson has kind of been left behind. And his biggest struggle last season was really that strikeout to walks ratio. He hasn't quite been able to put it together. And I'm at a disadvantage today. I know everybody that's watching us on YouTube sees my setup slightly different today. Uh, to quote our good buddy Andy Dwyer from Parts and Rec, I'm having network connectivity issues. So I'm using uh, my cell phone today to uh, join you on the podcast. So. I'm, I'm, I'm a little discombobulated. I don't have all my numbers and you know how much I like numbers. Uh, so I don't remember the exact ratios that he had, Jeff, but I can tell you that they were uh, eyebrow raising, not in a good way. It actually created some concern within the Reds organization that maybe he wasn't going to be able to put it together. Now, towards the, 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 the last third of the minor league season, he did improve a little bit. And there is some hope within the organization that he's going to come into Goodyear and actually battle for that fifth starter spot that's wide open right now. And I think that's why, in my mind, more than even Ellie De La Cruz, because, you know, as we set up there in that first segment, Jeff, Ellie's going to make this team at some point. It's either going to be on opening day or it's going to be around Memorial Day, but he's going to be in Cincinnati. That's not the case with Brandon Williamson. He can either go into Goodyear and have an amazing spring and show that he can get guys out and, and put in the work and, and look like a major league pitcher, 
uh, and become a major league pitcher, or if he continues to pitch just kind of blah, kind of average, like he's done since his arrival in Cincinnati, he could find himself right back in Louisville with not a lot of hope of promoting to the major leagues unless there's some, you know, horrific injury situation like we had last year where, you know, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Nick Craw was driving around your condo complex <laughs> looking for you to get you to come pitch a few relief innings. It was really bad. So, you know, I think Brandon Williamson has the absolute most on the line because what's going to happen is if he doesn't establish himself early this year, you know, that hype surrounding the other guys is going to take over and he can actually become the forgotten man as other people start to hit. And I, I think from a competitive standpoint, uh, from a, uh, a pride standpoint, he needs to do everything possible uh, from jump on February 14th to make sure that doesn't happen. I don't know that he would be forgotten. I feel like this pitching staff is super shallow. And if anybody gets hurt, he's going to be one of the first guys called up. But you're right. I mean, he, he won't be on the opening day roster if he continues to show the strikeout to walk rate that he had last year. His his strikeout rate was very pedestrian, very average, if not even a little bit below average. And his walk rate ballooned from where he was a year ago. And I think part of it was he tried to become more of a strikeout pitcher because he's a guy whose pitch profile, according to scouts, is solid but not spectacular. He doesn't have anything that jumps out at you. He doesn't have this crazy high-velocity fastball. He doesn't have a curveball that falls off the table. He doesn't have a slider that just wipes you out or anything like that. They're all very solid pitches, so he has to rely on command and control. And there was some sort of strange issue with that at AAA, whether he was concerned about giving up a lot of hard contact and so he was just trying to nibble or what it was. It just didn't quite work out for him. So that's going to be a huge thing this spring training and kind of something we were talking about with Ellie De La Cruz, like watch how he approaches his at-bats, watch how he defends the strike zone. When it comes to Brandon Williamson, watch how he pitches to guys. Is he going after them? Is he trying to work around them? Is this a situation where you're seeing more guys getting free passes than there should be? Is he getting is he doing the old Tyler Malley thing where he gets to two strikes and then gets to a full count because he's trying to pitch to that strikeout? Like, this is the kind of thing that we will look out for with Brandon Williamson. Not necessarily the, the ERA and the home runs. Like, if he gives up a ton of home runs, I'm sure that's going to be concerning. But what does the at-bat-to-at-bat at feeling look like for Brandon Williamson because if it's a lot of just long grinded out battles that might show that he's not necessarily ready and and I want to circle back to my forgotten man comment because you know I, I get why that raised your hackles a little bit but here's here's why I'm saying that you know he's in a situation now where the Reds may or may not give that that fourth spot in the rotation to uh, Wheeler Right. I mean, we may be we may be Weaver. looking at only Weaver. 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 See, I don't yeah. even know the guy's name. They're going out and getting dudes. We don't have Zach Wheeler. Oh. We're not that lucky. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe I did that. You see, this is what happens when I don't have my stuff. Um, but, you know, there could only be one spot in the rotation open is what I'm saying, uh, yeah. at, at least at the start. If everybody is healthy and all things being considered, all these guys could be vying for the fifth spot. Uh, if he doesn't go out and establish himself in that spot right away, uh, Levi Stout is coming. Abbott is coming. Chase Petty is coming. Connor Phillips, maybe a bullpen guy, but he's coming. All those guys are coming probably some some point in time this season, you know, next season at the latest. 
So, and at least when you're talking about this year's opening day rotation, he's competing against Connor Overton and maybe even Luis Sessa as well. Correct. So he could really find himself not in the, the starting rotation conversation. And I just don't see how he profiles as a bullpen guy. So if, if he starts, if he finds himself now six, seven, eight, ninth on a death chart of starters, uh, and some of these starters are going to be phenomenal, uh, he could really become an afterthought. Now, I mean, I don't mean, I'm not saying that they're just going to quit looking at him, but I mean, when you get that far down on the list, uh, people stop paying attention. And, 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 and that's what I mean. I, I mean, I, I'm not saying they're going to give up on him. That, I, that's not what I mean. I hope that's not what I conveyed. But I, I think he could find himself in a situation where, you know, he be, goes on that list of guys in the trade that didn't quite work out. And I, and I just I really think that these guys are so competitive and have so much, you know, pride in what they do that, you know, he's going to try to do everything possible to avoid even the hint of that uh, heading into 2023. So that's what I mean by the forgotten man. But Oh, yeah. No, but I, With, I think one thing is clear, and we both agree on this, that when it comes to this spring train, we, we talked about the importance of Ellie De La Cruz and what he has to do at the plate to really show that he should be on the opening day roster. Brandon Williamson might actually have a little bit more of an opportunity. Like, I think he might, if you're looking at a meter as far as how close to 100% he is to be on this opening day roster, he's probably over that 50% mark, but he's still got to prove it. He's still got to show that he can have command and control before we hand him an opening day rotation spot. Well, we talked about a couple of guys that can prove it. Let's look at something because I mentioned earlier, Keith Law's uh, scouting report on Ellie De La Cruz. Keith Law has come out with a bunch of rankings. He's got his top 100. He's got his organizational rankings and all of that great stuff. And, uh, you know, we tend to disagree a lot with Keith Law, but I'm going to say why I think Keith Law has a point. That's coming up here in just a moment. Before we get into that, though, I want to let you know you can follow the podcast on all platforms, including right here on YouTube. If this is your first time checking us out, thank you so much for watching us. Make sure you click subscribe and you click that bell to get notified whenever we've got new content for you, including tomorrow when we will be live for the Aloha Friday edition right here on YouTube only. Make sure. You check us out then. We love uh, interacting with everyone in the comments section with questions and comments and things like that. So make sure you are a part of that because we love to talk Reds and we love to talk Reds with you. Also, you can talk Reds with us in between episodes on Twitter. If you're watching here on YouTube, you can see our Twitter handles. If you're listening, you can follow me at Jeff Carr with three Fs. You can follow Steve at S. Offenbaker with two Fs. And of course, the show's Twitter account is just simply at Locked On Reds. All right, Steve, Keith Law likes to say things, and many people like to disagree with him, but I don't necessarily have a strong disagreement with what he said. And the thing that everybody's got a lot, they've, they've got, they got their hackles up, like you said a moment ago, is the fact that the Reds are ranked number 13 as an overall farm system, according to Keith Law. He is by far and away the lowest on them. They are top 10 in every other ranking, they, they vary as to where in the top 10 they land, but it's usually in the lower part of that top 10. He has them outside. In fact, he has them as the lowest in the NL Central. Now, that's all to say that Keith Law is a pretty contrarian guy. What does a number 13 farm system uh, raise in your mind? Well, let's, let's 
let's let's frame this up just a little bit more in that you know there's a, a thought process a school of thought out there that somewhere along the way someone within the reds organization hurt keith law a little bit he is always kind of poo-poos the reds and uh and i, and I would just tell our listeners if you're going to go after him on twitter you're only going to get to do it once because he will block you and block you quickly um he is he is the king of the block button when it comes to reds fans disagreeing with him so know that going in if you're going to go have that particular conversation uh for him to rank the reds farm system 13th uh, I think it's it's in a situation where he just absolutely could not deny the talent that exists within this this organization's farm system. For him to rank them 13th, that's anybody else's you know top six ranking, uh, you know, because of the way that he treats the Reds specifically. Uh, I, I think he just absolutely couldn't deny the talent that they've got in Ellie De La Cruz, Noel B. Marte, Edwin Arroyo, uh, the strong pitching with Connor Phillips and Chase Petty and Brandon Williamson and Levi Stout. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Uh, Nick Crawl has done a tremendous job. We've talked about it for all the things we uh, bash the front office about. Uh, the acquisition of talent over the last 18 months has not been one of them. Uh, we, we both agree that, you know, he's done an A-plus job as far as the rankings of the players that have come in. So uh, Keith looking at this system and ranking at 13th, uh, you know, he, he was in a position where it's so good he couldn't spin it in a way to rank it lower than that. And even at that, he ranked it a little bit low in my estimation. Uh, you know, you talked about in the first segment, the thoughts that he had on Ellie De La Cruz. And, you know, I feel like this is one of those rare moments where I thought that was a pretty succinct, smart analysis of the things that Ellie De La Cruz needs to do in order to be, uh, you know, not just a good major leaguer, but a great major leaguer and a, uh, uh, a tremendous asset to this franchise over the entire period of team control, you know, for the next six years or so. So I, I think that, I think that Keith finally has kind of hit a sweet spot of saying good things that are actually accurate about the team. Uh, that being said, you know, outside of Ellie De La Cruz, uh, how did you feel about, you know, his opinions on the rest of the prospects with the system? Cause it's kind of hard to bash Ellie De La Cruz right now. Right. And, and this is all to also say he hasn't come out with each. He also comes out with like each farm systems, individual report and his ranking of each farm system. He hasn't come out with that yet. This is all just kind of the overview, but he did have four reds in the top 100 of his rankings. The way that he ranked them though is different than other people because he actually had cam Collier as the second highest reds prospect. He had Ellie De La Cruz number four. He had Cam Collier at number 17, which means that two Reds made the top 20, which would make you wonder as to how the Reds don't have a top 10 farm system if they have two top 20 prospects, but that's neither here nor there. The way that he talked about Cam Collier is he said he has a great bat with really good power that still hasn't consistently shown up in the game, but it will as he grows into it. He has good base running and good arm. He says the only reason that he has a little bit of conservative feelings about cam collier is he's not sure if he's going to stick at third base or if the reds have to stick him in a corner outfield spot by the time he's ready for the major leagues but he has a great bat that's going to play just about anywhere on the field whenever you stick him in that spot so i i, I find it interesting because if you were to tell me that somebody was going to rank cam collier over noel v Marte and edwin arroyo who according to every other publication are the number two and number three prospects in this system, then you would you would almost 
convince me that that person was going to rank the Reds farm system in the top five, let alone the top 10. Let's, let's dig in on something for just a second. Cause I know you and I have talked about this a couple times now. Uh, do we think that Cam Collier is going to be anything but a corner outfielder? I mean, do we really believe that he's going to hold on an infield position? I just, I can't see how that, I can't see how that plays out given all of the, uh, the people we talk about that are shortstops that someone's going to have to move and they're going to have to make a spot for. It seems to me Collier is one of the more natural moves to the outfield. And especially when you look at the fact that Noel V. Marte is moving to third base, like it, I guess it would just depend on how much commitment they have to Marte. Like if, if they move Marte to a corner outfield spot after trying him at third base and maybe that doesn't work out, then Cam Collier could possibly stick at third. But I know that there's been a lot of folks who have attempted to look into their crystal balls and pretty much everybody that does that has Cam Collier playing left field or right field or something like that, which his arm would still play well out there. It's just, I think in his estimation of the prospects overall value, a third baseman is more valuable than a left fielder or a right fielder, at least in this case. So I, I think that's probably where he gets it from. He says that his power is not necessarily that of like a typical corner outfielder, though it still would play out there. Uh, it's just, it's a lot better looking if he's a third baseman overall. But I, I, I find that interesting because he also talks about Marte and he's like, I think the Reds moving him to third shows that they're not sure about what his future position is. And, and it's obvious it wasn't shortstop. I mean, our, our friends over at Lockdown Mariners were telling us that as the trade was happening. So that wasn't a surprise, but can he stick at third base? That's where he, that's kind of why he knocked Noel V. Marte all the way down to number 49. And, and it's interesting too with Edwin Arroyo because Edwin Arroyo is one of those things. A lot of people are really high on Edwin Arroyo and I've kind of been a little distant on him, not because I don't think he's talented and not because I don't think he's going to work out, but I have a hard time ranking uh, ranking players ahead of others that are much farther along. And Edwin Arroyo yeah. is probably the farthest away of all of these guys that we're talking about. So, I, you know, I can understand uh, people doing these rankings that would have a, a, a tendency to rank a guy lower simply because he's just so far away and we don't quite know yet how that's all going to play out. So I get Edwin Arroyo being ranked back. I, I'm – Listen, I don't think that moving him to third base uh, with the Reds moving Noelvi Marte to third base shows anything other than like, listen, we know we want you involved. We know we've got shortstop handled. Uh, right. So we know we want to get you ready now because we think you're a major piece. I don't think them moving him now says anything other than, you know, we want you ready and ha to have a spot as soon as possible. Uh, I, I don't like how that was framed. I, I don't think well, there was any negativity at all in them moving him to third base now. And I agree with you. I think that if he were about to land in triple a, like I think there's still a realm of reality where he starts in triple a this year, but he also could start in double a and, and then just say, play more third base in double a, and then we'll bump you up to triple a. It's the fact that they're not waiting until the last second, like what they did with Nick Senzel to move to center field. Like they're not moving him at the last second before they call him up. They're going to give him a long runway to play at third base and get comfortable there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking that's the negative that Keith law has kind of put on this, but the overall assessment of the Reds farm system and why he has it at number 13 is he talks a lot about his rankings and he, he very highly ranks upside 
And I think that he believes that there's not a lot of upside in this Reds farm system, which is interesting because that's been the aim. That's been what Nick crawl has gone after. So that would then extend to me believing that Keith law questions what the front, what the front office has done, despite what we might think being a good thing. He thinks that they haven't acquired enough upside. I don't know. And I think that's where whatever is going on between Keith law and this reds front office plays in because I, I just, I can't see, I just, I can't see that if, if, if Baseball America and MLB Pipeline and all of these highly respected and even Doug Gray, who knows the Reds minor league system better than probably anybody else out there that doesn't work for the Reds minor league system. You know, right. all of those guys are pretty much in agreement that, you know, we, we heard the words that Nick Craw got a haul, that we've got all these prospects, that these dudes are, you know, so good. The Reds have done a tremendous job of, of building the system. All these guys agree. So for, for Keith Law to be the one contrarian that, that wants to say that, that Nick Crawl didn't do as well as he did, uh, I think that's some personal bias creeping in to, to his evaluation of, of this Reds front office. Uh, I can't see a scenario where everybody else is wrong and Keith Law is right. I think the, this, this farm system does have a tremendous amount of upside. There is a tremendously high ceiling on a lot of these guys. And of the high ceiling guys, a lot of them have a pretty high floor as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm all in on what Nick Crawl has done so far. I'm not ready to poo-poo any of these moves. I'm not ready to call any of these guys he's brought in over the last year a bust. Uh, I think we have a lot to see still, but you know, I'm still very optimistic about uh, the impact of these young players as they move through the system and, and reach Cincinnati's roster. I would agree. I would definitely agree. Looking at everything that he has done, it's, it's, it's been fantastic. And and we have rightly so given him an A plus for this part of the rebuild. Let's see what happens here coming up next, but that is where we will wrap up this edition of the lockdown reds podcast reminder coming tomorrow at 1 30 PM. Eastern time. We've got our live Aloha edition of the podcast. You can get in the comments section here on YouTube and give us your questions, give us your thoughts about this Reds team as we're just a couple of weeks away from spring training. So we look forward to seeing you tomorrow. But now go check out the Locked On MLB Prospects podcast for your second listen as Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia and he knows everything there is to know about the minor leagues. He's going to give you the stars of tomorrow and tell you why they are the stars of tomorrow. That's Locked On MLB Prospects, just like Locked On Reds, free and available wherever you get your podcast. Steve, two weeks away. Pitchers and catchers will be reporting soon. We'll be hearing about guys in the best shape of their lives. So what's that mean for you and me? (laughs) That means neither one of us are in the best shape of our lives. But we're going to be locked on the waiver wires. We're going to be locked on the rumors. We're going to be locked on the performances. We're going to be locked on the stats, and we're going to keep you Locked on Reds every single day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.